Welcome to another message from Citizen Heights. We are located in the nation's capital where our heart is to inspire hope, remove limitations, and help you experience God's possible for your life. Join pastors Michael and Heather Jarreau and their passion to help you live out your best life. We hope you enjoyed today's encouraging and uplifting message. We're excited to jump in today. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to open, and uh, we like at Citizen Heights what kind of church you're, you're going to is a church that says, you know, I might have a couple decent ideas in my lifetime, but God has uh, the plans, the purposes. He sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. Uh, as Peter said, only he has the words of life. And uh, if you're looking for a, a way to, to find your way in life, uh, no, look no further than the Bible. We love the Bible. We're going to uh, read uh, just a few verses, maybe three verses today out of Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible or if you prefer to use your Citizen Heights app, I'll encourage you right now, both campuses, take out your phone, open the Citizen Heights app. Um, the app has a couple of uh, great things about it. Number one, the Bible app is built into our church app. So you can quickly reference and copy and paste and do whatever you want as you take notes. The second thing I like about the app is there's uh, discussion notes every week. So you can take this with you. You can follow along. And so uh, Citizen Heights, um, if you check the Android or, or uh, Apple store, you will find your way and uh, be able to download your notes. And today there's the special bonus notes in the app. I'll can tell you a little bit more about that. I think last week I encouraged you, as you open the app, there's a button that says subscribe. Go ahead and click the subscribe button. Uh, that'll get you signed up for a weekly email for both campuses. So you can just be up to date with what's happening at Citizen Heights. Uh, we like to kind of celebrate what God did one weekend, get you get a few things that, that are coming up on your, on your calendar. And uh, that email really helps connect us and, and hopefully add some value to your week as uh, we keep some of the things that God is doing and God is saying in the forefront. Sound good? Anybody suffering from parade, uh, like, uh, what's it called? Whiplash? No. What's it called? Withdrawal? Is that it? Hangover? Well, there we go. <laughs> That's the word I was looking for. And now that I've said it, I regret it. Um, so national championship, I could get used to this kind of activity in our city. It's pretty amazing. Uh, you have Matthew 25. You have your app. Today we continue a new series, Kingdoms, what the Bible teaches about heaven, hell, and how you live right now. Uh, many people are increasingly uncomfortable with the topic of death and the topic of the afterlife and what comes next. You might be one of those people. You might love this subject or maybe this is a topic you completely try to avoid and here you are on a Sunday and we're going to talk about the mortality in, uh, of our humanity. Last week we started answering some of the questions, uh, the difficult questions that come up like what happens after my 70, 80, 90, 100 years on planet earth? What happens after this life? What does my eternity look like? Where do I go? Is there a real heaven? Is there a real hell? Uh, I don't think I've ever, ever systematically pulled this topic apart in a series and talked about it for several weeks. So I'm hoping that we can do this together. And uh, because we live in a culture where Halloween and Hollywood try to give us false caricatures and, and, and some of us are operating on just assumptions and ideas and, and hopes and wishes and wondering, and that doesn't bring a lot of peace. 
Matter of fact, what that does bring is it brings a lot of anxiety in the unknown. But the Bible speaks about all these things. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to fear. We can live with real peace and, uh, and, and an eternal perspective of what comes next in life. So if you didn't get last week, uh, I would encourage you go on the app, go on the website and watch last week. It may be one of the most important messages I've ever preached. And uh, I, I don't say that lightly. I don't say that often. I think it was one of the most important because it lays a framework for eternity. And because what we basically covered last week, and this will not do it justice, but we basically said eternity is not just a long time. Eternity is the absence of time. It's always. It's forever and ever and ever. It, it's eternal, right? Eternity. Um, and so it's a never-ending. And it deserves our careful consideration. And it, cons- and it deserves your careful planning. And that's what we talked about last week. If you didn't get it, I would encourage you to get it. Uh, you might think, well, I'm, I'm all good on the eternal thing. Well, are you living with an eternal perspective? Because if, if you're really solid on what we talked about last week, you start talking to people around you a lot differently. And there's a different urgency in your heart for people around you. Um, and so I'd encourage you to go back. This week, we turn to Matthew chapter 25. Everybody got it? Fairfax has got it. Matthew 25, verse 34. This is, if you know the Bible and you've heard some stories maybe in Sunday school, this is what's called the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this is where Jesus gives a story paralleling the kingdom of God. And so last week we laid a lot of that framework for the kingdom side of this series. But we're going to tune into three verses out of this parable. We'll start with verse 34. It says, Then the king will say to those... On his right hand, come you, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Down to verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Skip down to verse 46. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Can you say amen? See, this gives, eternal perspective does something to you. It gives you a greater security. It gives you a greater joy in the truth you've come to know. It gives you a greater urgency to share that truth. Or if you are on the outside of this still trying to figure out what this is all about, it gives you some, today what I hope to give you is some context for your eternity. Because eternity touches our here and now. The decisions we make in our here and now impact our eternity. Last week, if you're here, we had a a piece of string at both campuses as long as we could stretch it out. And then if you just put one little mark on that string, all of that string might be eternity, time and space, if it would could if it could go on forever and ever. But that one little spot that we marked, that would be my life. That would be your life. So there's a lot riding on what we do on that one little mark because it impacts all of eternity. Are you here? So we turn to these things, and, and I, I was thinking this week uh, about this, this, it was a few years ago, Heather and I were on a, a powerboat in the Pacific Ocean, and we were with some, some friends of ours, they're pastors, and they have this fishing boat, and they said, Look, we want to take you out on a tour, and so we're, we're out on the Pacific Ocean in between, I guess it's Laguna area maybe, and uh, Catalina, and so they're taking us towards Catalina, and we're jumping waves, and we're, we're having a great time. You get on a boat, your, your life instantly gets better. 
and, and we're jumping waves and we're we're yelling and we're boaters are really friendly. So when you see other boaters, they wave to you. Did you know that? That's like just boating 101. You have to wave to people as they go by. And so we're waving to other boaters and we're jumping and we see this one boat. And so we start jumping their wake and we're yelling and screaming. We had our kids with us and we're waving to them and they're not waving back. Yes, I was hurt. I let it go a little bit. I'm still working through it. And as we, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing what we do, and all of a sudden they came to an abrupt stop. And, and so we stopped, and it was then that we noticed that they were all dressed up. They all had t- suits and, and dresses on. And then we noticed that their suits and dresses were all black. And it was then that we realized this was a funeral. This was a funeral boat. You're so empathetic, this church. It's okay. They're not here. Eternity. Anyway. So, so they stop abruptly. We realize, so we start backing up slowly like this didn't happen. We haven't been jumping their wake and waving and yelling and celebrating and, uh, you know, trying to get out of there, trying not to make too much of what happened. And, and just when you think it can't get worse for a solemn moment, um, it does. Because they started to... Um, what is it called? The internment of the ashes as they start to sprinkle their ashes. And we're at a distance now, but we can see they're at the back of the boat and the ashes are going in. And, and whenever you put something in the water off a boat, seabirds think you're chumming the water. And all these seabirds start dive bombing the ashes. <laughs> it was disaster, an absolute disaster. Um, you didn't know anybody there, so stop trying to be empathetic. It's so annoying. Um, it was an absolute disaster. And, and it's funny because you look back and you say, you know, our ceremonial exit from this world, the, the life that you and I live right now, there will be at some point some ceremonial exit that we hope to be dignified and, and without dive-bombing seabirds, and, and we hope it will go smooth without incident. But can I tell you something? Ceremonies to say goodbye, as dignified as we intend them and want them to be, don't have any impact on our eternal. The ceremony that says, see you later, is not going to have any impact on the eternal that greets you in the hereafter. The choices we make here and now do. The choices we make right now impact the eternal. Bless you. So my understanding of eternity cannot be based on fairy tales or Hollywood scripts or horror stories or or guesswork or imagination or assumptions. We cannot create, because this is what we do, we create an eternity that suits our preference. We we begin to create an eternity, and, and the Bible has a word for that. It's called idolatry. It's when you create a God that that kind of is fashioned around what you want Him to be like. And of course, on your mantle at home, you probably don't have a carved figurine of a God that you worship. But when we fashion the divine to our preference, that's exactly what we're doing. Now, before you become too offended with me, uh, let me just say we do that with Jesus all the time. We fashion a Jesus after our own likeness. Deep down, we all have a tendency to do this, 
to recreate. So before we know it, we have an American Jesus, or we have a Western Jesus, or we have a hippie Jesus, or we have a postmodern Jesus. We have a capitalistic Jesus, or a socialistic Jesus, or we have a democratic Jesus, or a Republican Jesus. We all have this tendency, and I don't know about you, but you have to be careful to not start creating God in your own image. In the heart of every person is, is this hidden tendency to reinterpret Jesus in the light of their own kingdom, in the light of their own culture, in the light of their own political bent, in the light of their own theological beliefs. So we do it with Jesus, and we do it with eternity. We do it with heaven, and we do it with hell. We sometimes refashion it or avoid it, you know? And at the end of the day, I, I, I'm going to need you to brace yourselves for this. At the end of the day, our feelings, our wants, our preferences, our desires are important to God, but they don't control God. They don't control the universe he created. They don't control the kingdom that he is king of. So that means we, we have to expect in a series like this, I just want to I, I prepare you. We have to expect then that the Bible is going to say things that we didn't know. The Bible is going to say things that we don't want to believe are true sometimes. The Bible is going to say some things that we don't agree with in our natural mindset. And it forces us to ask honest questions. Can we ask an honest question today? Are you here today? Are you going to help me? One honest question for today. In the end, don't we all get to go to heaven anyway? I mean, wouldn't that be great if in the end we all got to go to heaven? I mean, that would be my preference. Can I just be honest? I would prefer that. Is there anybody here that does not prefer that, right? I think we're all in the same boat. We all prefer that. We need to get down into what the Bible says about the matter because questions about eternity are too important to leave to feelings or assumptions or guesswork. It's just too important. So the fact is I would, I would love for all people to stand before Jesus on the judgment on the judgment day, which Matthew 25 gives reference to in the parable of the sheep and goats. I, I wish we all got to stand before Jesus on that day, and it would just be a big, psych, you all get a second chance right now. There's a holy do-over. Like, you know what you just did for 70, 80, 90, 100 years? Yeah, forget all that. You get one decision right now. I, that would be amazing. Despite what we want to believe, uh, we've got to believe what God told us to believe. You hear me? Despite what I want to believe, I've got to believe what God told me to believe. And the Bible is not silent. Throughout history, um, some have not only wanted everybody to get in at the end, but they've gone on to argue that the Bible actually says that. Um, that view in, in general is called universalism. It means, hey, we all get in at the end. All right? And so can I, can I teach you a couple of things today? Are you, are, you, are you ready for this? These are not my, we're going to talk about the Bible. But universalism is this idea that, that believes that everybody will end up saved and in heaven in the end. Everybody gets in. That's the belief. There's two basic tribes of universalism. There's the non-Christian tribe of universalism that basically you, you could also call them as pluralists. Um, and what they believe essentially is that everybody, they believe Jesus is just one of many ways to get to heaven. Pluralism. They just say, there's lots of ways. You, we all have a friend that we've talked to. Maybe you're one of those people like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to believe in a God that does that. Well, that's not who God is. And that's not what he describes and defines. 
And so, but that's a universal, a non-Christian universe believes that Jesus is just one of many ways to salvation. So all religions are basically equal, and they're all valid ways to salvation, and whichever path you pick, it will all get you to Candyland. All right? Then there's a Christian form of universalism. And Christian universalists believe that Christ is the only way, but they hold out hope that God will give the, everybody a second chance in eternity. They're holding out hope for this second chance. Uh, now we have to ask, does anything in the Bible support these ideas? I, I, I told you we're going to ask a couple of questions. We're going we're to learn something about the book that all of our hope clings to. Is that okay? And... The question is, will God just wave us all in into heaven at the end? Is, is hell just an idea meant to deter and, and, and motivate us, but not a real actual place? Uh, we don't have time to cover every text, but I did put some bonus notes in the app. Please don't read them now, because what I want to do right now is I want to go to 1 Timothy 2. We can't treat all of those texts, but we're going to treat one of the main ones, okay? And how we treat it right now will help you treat some of the other ones. 1 Timothy chapter 2 um, is one of the texts used to come up with this idea that in the end, we all get in. Um, and so uh, 1 Timothy 2.4, it says, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Don't you love that verse? Anybody here love that verse? God desires all. I love that. All of us to be saved. And so a a pluralist would say, see, God desires all to be saved. See, he said it right there. He desires all of us to be saved. And all means all. Well, I I agree God desires it. Um, I agree his heart is for it. I agree he died to make that a reality. That possibility is a reality because of Jesus. But um, God desiring all people to be saved does not mean that God will override all of your personal choices that people have made. Come on. The fact that God desires all people to be saved does not mean he's going to override all the personal choices that that each of us has made. So follow me on this because you know I like deductive reasoning. And I believe if William Blackstone said right reason and right logic can bring you to the, through, through the scriptures to come to right conclusions about topics that might seem muddled to the world, but when you start looking through, understand this. This is giving us a peek into God's will. That's what it's doing. Because God desires all to be saved. That's written by Paul. Now understand, the Apostle Paul also, the same Apostle Paul who wrote God desires all men to be saved also wrote 1 Thessalonians 4.3 where he says he desires all Christians to live sexually pure. Same guy wrote both. Desires all to be saved, desires all Christians to be sexually pure. Now, I don't want you to look around or anything right now, but have you ever known somebody who loves God but made a mistake? Probably. So what happened? Well, it it gives us insight because we we understand God's moral will for us is declared to us but it's not dictated to us. God's moral will for your life is declared to you, 
This is the way. This, the Bible says that he daily loads us with many blessings. And if you just imagine a wheelbarrow coming down the aisles today, like, would you like some, uh, a clean conscience? Yes, I would. Would you like mercy new this morning? Yes, I would. And you're taking out of this wheelbarrow the many blessings that come from our Father. And, and, and the intentions for him, I want you to have a healthy relationship. Oh, I do too. I'd also like a healthy relationship. And we're just taking all these things that God desires for us, but really, we make moral choices whether to take hold of some of those things. God desires we make godly, moral choices in life. You know what that means? That means God knows what's best for us. He, he's got the wheelbarrow full of benefits. He knows what's best for us. But yet, God's moral will for our lives can be resisted. We typically rebel. We typically say, uh, no thanks, hold the healthy relationship. I got something else in mind. Right? God knows what's best for us. He says, don't eat the fruit. I just ate it. Don't lie. It's just a fib. Don't covet, but it's mine. Don't have an unhealthy, toxic relationship. But, 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 you know, just need, need them back in my life. God declares his will for us. This is the way. Walk in it. This is a way of life. Take it. And typically, we resist. We take the long route around. Or we choose right. God doesn't want us to make those mistakes, but he allows us. Why? Because we're creating his image. We have free will. We're human beings. We're moral entities. And we have a moral code. So we often make terrible choices that violate that moral code. But God is not a puppet master who pulls everyone's strings to suit his will. He has a will. This is the way. Walk in it. I can do the same thing for my sons. Hey, boys, you want to have good, healthy relationships with women in the future? Treat them like this. Don't go after that. Don't hang out over here. I can, I can lay out a father's will for their sons. But then they have to make their choices. God's moral will for us it can be resisted. It can be rejected. It can be rebelled against. This isn't difficult to understand, but then what does 1 Timothy 2 mean when it says he desires all men to be saved? Well, it means God loves everybody. God is inclusive. God is not exclusive. Aren't you glad? His love re- reverses social constructs and social boundaries and, and, and distinctions because his love overwhelms and knows no bounds. So he doesn't say, I I love this nation only or this kind of people. God is not a racist or a bigot or a nationalist. God is a God of love. He says, I desire that all people get saved. I desire all. That's what Ephesians says. He desires all to come to repentance in the knowledge of the truth. So that's, that's the will. But so... On the, on the, on the, uh, just as kind of like a, a brief wrap-up of that idea, you can look through some of the notes later. There's not a single passage in the Bible that describes or hints to or hopes for or suggests that someone who dies without following Jesus in this life will have another opportunity in the next life to make the decision. You might think that sounds rudimentary, but if we connect that dot, it changes how we live. If we connect that dot, Life doesn't seem so long and wandering. 
One well-known universalist admitted this, arguing for the possibility of people getting out of hell and getting a second chance after death. This is what one universalist wrote. Look at this. We'll put it up for you. He says, clearly my interpretation is not determined by the text. Oh, well, that's, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a big problem. He says, I'm not so much exegeting the text as trying to draw out the logic of New Testament theology as I understand it and its implications for those texts. In the process, I may be offering ways of reading the text that go beyond what their authors had in mind. What? You can't do that. I put it in your bonus notes, but when you read the Bible, there's something called the context principle. It's, it's, it's simply what you would want done with statements that you have made. When you make a statement, you hope that somebody doesn't take three lines out of it, like your spouse skillfully can do sometimes, <laughs> and say, oh, so you're saying you don't want, no, no, I said I didn't want the cookies. I didn't say I didn't want you, right? You're, you're taking this out of context, right? We want to be interpreted in context, don't we, when we communicate? God's no different. When interpreting the Bible, there's a law of hermeneutics that says the context principle. The Bible can never say what it never said. You can't make it say something that the author never intended it to say. I gave you more of that in the bonus notes. But this, uh, this person's very honest. I'm not so much interpreting what the text says. I'm just basically telling you what I wish the text would say. What won't the Bible say if left to that filter? Keep in mind, we're not simply trying to settle doctrinal issues here. We're talking about people's eternal destinies. We're talking about where you and I are forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Not only does the Bible not support that there will be no second chance after death, it explicitly warns against this type of false hope. Did you know that? Luke chapter 13, another parable. Jesus tells, and it's towards the end of his life, and Jesus is, is sharing a, a parable with his disciples. They're on their way to Jerusalem, and on their way to Jerusalem, they're in this little town, and somebody asks them um, how many people will be, end up being saved, and, and he talks about the kingdom, and, and his response is, is a little unnerving, because first he says, many will want to, but not many will find it. Well, that's not encouraging. But if that wasn't enough, he says this, many who think they are saved will end up on the outside of the kingdom. So, and he gives this story about the doors being shut and the master of the house being on the inside and, and the kingdom and, and people who thought they'd be on the inside are actually shut out and they're on the outside and they're banging on the door wanting a do-over, a second chance in eternity. And though we may want the door to fling open, and next week we'll talk a little bit about God's obligation to be just, to be right, and how that fits in this, though we may wish for the door to fling open, the Bible says the opposite. Look at, look at verse 25 of Luke 13. We'll put it on the screen. It says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see all the prophets. You see the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. Man, I remember growing up in church. There was this 
contemporary Christian artist at the time named Keith Green. And he had a song about the sheep and the goats. And he sang this song. He just sang the parable to music. And he sang it with a broken heart. If Jesus believed in second chances for those who reject him in this life, that they'd get a second chance in the afterlife, this parable he just shared is terribly misleading. It's terribly misleading. This door, this offer of rescue, this offer of restoration, this offer of a brand new life, the the past is gone, all things become new. It doesn't remain permanently open. It's not open in eternity. For those who follow Jesus, it says there is everlasting life in the presence of God. For those who chose a different king and a different kingdom. Remember last week we said not choosing is choosing. Absence from the presence of God. In a place of eternal punishment. See, the Bible doesn't hold out hope for a second chance after death. Our hope is here. Our hope is now. Our hope is Jesus. And Jesus didn't say these words to settle some theological um, beef between feuding academics or feuding theologians. He's told the story to engage my heart and your heart in the, the idea of eternity. To get us to the place in our here and now, that the here and now is not all that is. There's something bigger to impact our souls, to awaken our hearts to eternity. Be with Jesus in a wonderful place of eternal reward or be in the absence of Jesus in a place of eternal regret, separation, salvation. Those are the choices. Now, we're not the kind of church that does a fire and brimstone, but this is theology this is doctrine this is this is a reality that i think even around halloween we kind of get we even play like ah isn't it funny people you know ghosts and goblins and the afterlife who knows what it'll look like god knows who knows what will decide god knows and so do you now like we know banking on a second chance after we die even though the Bible wholly refutes it. It puts us in a place where we're building our eternity on an imagination. And that imagination leads to something the Bible calls damnation. I mean, that's just the truth. Wouldn't you tell somebody if they're about to step out into the street and get hit by a bus? Wouldn't you pull them back? Wouldn't you whisper something in their ear? I can save you the pain and the anguish. Somebody was about to go through something that would be hurtful in a relationship. Let me just give you a little bit of wisdom that will save you some of the pain and regret. Listen, we hold within our hearts the joy of salvation. And not just the joy and security of salvation, but the hope for the whole world. That we would be able to whisper something in their ear. Listen, I want to I save you some of the anguish. Not just of a bad breakup, not just of a broken bone, but of an eternity in the absence of God's goodness. Can I share something with you today? We're the hope of the world. Because Jesus lives in you. When you call on the name of the Lord, you're saved. 
How great a salvation. That's why we worship with exuberance. That's why we're not afraid to lift a hand or, or, or dance or clap or shout and make a joyful no- noise and, and look a little bit silly because we know what we've escaped. Not because we were great, but because God is great. Not because we did it all right, but because Jesus did it all right. And in him, God sees us forgiven, righteous, pure, not based on your track record, but based on the kingdom. Eternity isn't about choosing a side. It's about surrendering to the Savior. It's about surrendering to who he is. You know, we'll wrap up with this last thought. Uh, one of my sons, my oldest son, was uh, last week for, for Halloween. He likes to go to this place around here. Some of us know it. It's called Markov's Haunted Forest. Now listen, I don't pretend to understand people who like to get scared. I, you know, God bless you if, that, if you enjoy that. I've, I've never enjoyed being scared. But I understand some of you like it. And uh, I said, Caden, why did you go? He goes, Dad, it's so amazing. You're getting terrified and you, people are jumping out. I said, don't you, like, I, I would run out, I would scream a high-pitched scream in every room of the process. He said, Dad, actually, there was this one room I went into. He goes, this was the worst room. He goes, we got in this one phase, and the devil comes out. He goes, and it freaked me out. He goes, and they, they're allowed to touch you, so he's coming over. And isn't this, like, I'm just like, I raised you better than this son. He's in the room with the devil. The devil's touching him. He goes, Dad, I freaked out. He goes, all I could do is just scream, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And he kept screaming it. He screamed it to the point that the devil hugged him in and whispered in his ear, hey, dude, it's okay. I know. Jesus loves me. I know. I know. He broke, the devil broke character to let him know, listen, I know too. I know Jesus loves me. there's got to be something in our spirit that when we see what Jesus has done for us and we know what the the enemy has has the death blow that he has he has he has dealt and the way of escape that God has made that we're just there's something in us Jesus loves you Jesus loves you don't have to live like that you don't have to remain there you don't have to stay in the mess you made God wants to restore you and he's no respecter of persons he'll take any of us because we're his sons and his daughters. And then I think, man, isn't that amazing? Even the devil knows Jesus is real. You know, the Bible says that. It says even, even demons in the enemy knows that God is, and they tremble. Knowing that God exists and knowing that God is love and knowing that God loves you, that's all a good start, but that's not enough. Because you can know all that and remain in costume. You can know all that and and still be serving the wrong king. It's not about picking a side. It's about surrendering to the lover of your soul. We all live different after. And when eternity is in view, let me just tell you, our conversations shift We invite a few more people. We tell our story a little bit more often. We get transparent and vulnerable because, well, what will they think of me? Who cares? Where will they be for all eternity? Well, what if they say no? What if they say yes? Can I pray for you? Just close your eyes. Fairfax, Tenley Town, maybe you're online viewing right where you are.
Jesus loves you. We sing it, Jesus loves me, this I know. The Bible tells me so. But even the enemy knows that God is real and that God is love. But is Jesus your personal Savior? Is he your Lord and King? It's not about what you know. It's about who you serve. I want to pray with you right now. First group of people. Matter of fact, I'm just going to pray one group of people. You're here today and you say, no, I'm going to pray two groups. Two groups. First group, you say, I know this is the truth. I know God is real. I know I'm saved and will someday go to heaven, but I know my conversations here on earth have not reflected that reality. I have not been urgent enough with the message God has entrusted to me. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Father, we thank you for uh, just a group altar call this morning in both campuses all across the DMV. Father, that your, that your people will awaken, that we will awaken from our slumber to think the next paycheck and the next house and the next relationship and the next thing that we think will bring fulfillment. God, it captures our attention and our energy and there we are shelved from the eternal purposes of God instead of being your spokesperson instead of being those who say we're trophies of grace look what God did for us instead of being those who help bring reconciliation to the world around us God activate us today God we pray for marching orders and Lord we pray for courageous obedient hearts to to speak the truth in love Lord we're not going to walk out of here dropping the reality of hell into every conversation but we're going to be motivated by the reality of hell Lord our lead in line isn't going to be you're going to hell because most people are literally living in hell on earth right now but God we're going to go with a with a heart and a motivation right now as we go to our workplace, as we go through the neighborhood, as we go through the relationships and friends that you've given us, Lord, we love them too much to not share the truth that God has a way for them right here, right now. With every eye closed, one last group of people I want to pray for is, if you'd be honest today, you say, I'm really not sure where my eternity is heading. I mean, I hope, but I'm not sure. The Bible says you can have a confidence and an assurance. I want you to have that today. I'm going to count to three, and when I hit three, I'm just going to invite you to lift your hand. It might be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer. It might be a recommitment moment, because if you're honest, you're just not sure. When I hit three, you're going to lift your hand, and we're not going to trick you into standing up or call you forward. I'm, I'm going to pray a general prayer over us to dismiss us here in a moment. But by raising your hand, you're saying, I need Jesus in my life. I need to be sure today. One, don't wait. Today's your day. Two, he loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. One, two, three, hands up. There they are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Just nice and high. Say, yeah, include me in that prayer. Thank you. See your hand. See you. See you. Say, well, why raise my hand? God sees it. Yeah, but there's something supernatural that happens when, when there's an outward response to saying, Jesus, I surrender. Hands up. I surrender. Fairfax campus, hands up. I surrender. Praise God. You can put your hands down. Maybe you didn't feel comfortable raising your hand, but you're going to pray this prayer with us just the same. Dear Jesus, I give you my life because you first gave me yours. I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. So I surrender all I am, all I've been, all I hope to be. Put it in your hands. Now say this boldly. I am a Christian. 
By grace I've been saved. In Jesus' name, amen.